0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Okay. Open your books to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a white paperback Bible underneath one of the chairs nearby. grab one of those and open it to page 369, Jeremiah chapter 7, is where we'll be today. One of my favorite movies is called Network, not the social network, that's a different movie from a couple years ago, this is dating me a little bit, this movie is called Network from 1976, yeah, really old movie, has anybody seen Network? Network? Hand, handful of hands, yeah, Network, well, Network is about this guy named Howard Beale, and Howard Beal is a newscaster, that's Howard on the picture there, and he gets fired from his job, and so he comes on to announce that he'd been dismissed, and he says, here's what I'm going to do on my final news program, I'm going to come on, and I'm going to kill myself on air, and so, you know, everybody's very interested in this, and so people begin to watch Howard Beale, and he gets this, you know, huge audience, and he starts to rail against the evils of television. And he begins to, to use this as an opportunity to speak about what he sees to be a real downfall in our society. And this is a, a wonderful picture of Howard Beale in one of his rants about TV. And so there's one scene where... He says this, he says, television is not the truth. Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, singers, jugglers, lion tamers, and football players. We are in the boredom-killing business. We will tell you anything you want to hear. We deal with illusions. None of it is true, but you people sit there day after day, night after night. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think the tube, the TV, is reality and your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You eat like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness. You maniacs. You people are the real thing. We're the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. And everybody is just captivated by what this guy is saying. And so he has these other opportunities just to continue to rant and rail on, on TV. And people look at him and they, they laugh at him. They think he's weird. They, they think he's out of his mind. He's kind of emotionally distraught himself. He's just kind of d- disturbed and, and confused about some things. And eventually, at the end of the movie, they end up killing him. Now, when I look at this, Howard Beale, when I watch this movie, and I've seen it many times, I always think to myself, that must be what it was like to be an Old Testament prophet. That must be what it was like to be, in particular, a prophet like Jeremiah. This is probably a pretty good depiction of what Jeremiah was like. That might have been what Jeremiah looked like when he preached. That facial expression right there. Jeremiah was criticized very often in his ministry, he, he, was, um, he, he had a lot of internal struggles. He, he was a sorrowful, depressive man. He's called the weeping prophet. People criticized him. People threatened to kill him. He had a lot of self-doubt, and yet he would rant with the word that God gave him against what God told him were the evils of his day. And what Jeremiah found is that there is a high price to pay for standing for God's truth, truth in this world. Just like there was a high price to pay for Howard Beale, there was a high price to pay for Jeremiah, a high price to pay perhaps for you and me. Well we're looking at Jeremiah today. We're going through a sermon series called Root 66, looking at the 66 books of the Bible, starting in Genesis, going through to Revelation one sermon per Bible book. And so here we are in the prophets, started the prophets last week with Isaiah, and here we are looking at Jeremiah today. So who wrote Jeremiah? We believe it was Jeremiah with some help from his secretary, a guy named Baruch, uh, probably written about 550 BC. Theme of the book Sin, idolatry, and rebellion will be punished. Now just get ready because that's going to be a repeated theme as we go through the prophets. Almost all the prophets have some um, version of that theme. Significant events, the calling of Jeremiah. God calls Jeremiah, tells him that God had his heart set on him from before the foundation of the world. We see a lot of Jeremiah's suffering and persecution. Um, The prophecy of the coming new covenant in chapter 31 extremely important passage in the book of Jeremiah, as well as judgment of the nations and the fall of Jerusalem. If you've been reading along with uh, me throughout this series, trying to keep up and reading through the Bible, you you might find that this is the place where things start to bog down a little, (laughs) because Isaiah is a long book, and Jeremiah is actually the longest book in the Bible. So hopefully you've been able to get ahead a little bit with some of the shorter books, but this is a tough road if you happen to be... Uh, reading along with me. Here's the list of kings that I've been showing you from time to time throughout this Bible series. Um, So just as I was talking with the children, we have the division of the kingdoms, the uh, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, Northern kingdom is Israel. Southern kingdom is called Judah. Again, last week we talked about Jeremiah, and we learned that Jeremiah came and preached um, during... The reign of these four kings right here, Isaiah down to Hezekiah. Isaiah preached during that time. Jeremiah is coming and preaching um, during this time, right after Josiah died. Josiah's son, Jehoahaz, got put on the throne, only for three months though. And then Jehoiakim, uh, these two guys are brothers actually, so Jehoiakim was a son of Josiah. As well, Jehoiakim gets on the throne. And the passage that we're looking at here in chapter 7, Jeremiah is speaking during the reign of Jehoiakim. But his ministry lasted over the course of many years, and so he preached actually during the reign of Josiah all the way through to Zedekiah, the very last king, uh, before the fall of Judah and Israel. So we're going to read from chapter 7. If you have that, please stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read just... 15 verses from this chapter. Josiah uh, was a good king, as the children told us. And uh, Jehoiakim, though, not so good. And so things are beginning to slip back into moral darkness once again. Once again. And you see there's really no upright or uh, no revival after that. Um, but here's what Jeremiah says under the reign of Jehoiakim. Jeremiah 7, starting with verse 1. Reading from the English Standard Version. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel... Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, And if you do not go after other gods to your own harm... ...then I will let you dwell in this place... ...in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely... ...make offerings to Baal and go after other gods... ...that you have not known... ...and then come and stand before me in this house... ...which is called by my name... ...and say, we are delivered... "...only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel." And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. God in heaven, would you please... By your spirit, help us to know what you have for us in this text today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay, so you can almost hear kind of a a little bit of a ranting come out of Jeremiah in that, right? I mean, uh, this is a man of conviction, a, a man who is convinced of the truth of what he is saying, a man full of passion, and his concern is not television, like that of Howard Beale. But his concern is what I'm going to break up into three categories here. And the first concern that Jeremiah has is a false presumption among God's people. He's concerned about a false presumption. So just look at verse 1. We see here the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So here we see something illustrative of the way prophets worked. The word came to them. When the prophets spoke, they weren't speaking their own words. They weren't speaking their own ideas and opinions. They simply spoke what God gave them to say. They were God's mouthpieces so that God's word could be declared to the people. And so in verse 2, we see what God tells Jeremiah. Jeremiah, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word. And say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. So... God is commanding Jeremiah to go to the temple and just to stand right outside the temple. And as people are coming in, Jeremiah is to preach to them. So it would be a little bit like you come into New Life today. You park your car and you know you're going to hear from a preacher in here. But there's some guy standing out there in the parking lot preaching while you walk in. That's what Jeremiah here was called to do. And what you might notice that is a little bit maybe unusual here is that he is called to preach to God's people. He's going to the temple to preach. God's not saying go down to the strip club or go down to the tavern or to the bar or go to the college campus. Go to the temple and preach. See, I have a a friend of mine that I graduated from seminary with. His name is Keith Darrell. And... um, He is a a traveling preacher, and so he goes around to college campuses all over the nation and just sets up in the middle of an open space and starts preaching. So that's my friend Keith who is back to us there. Um, He's holding his Bible behind him, and you see a crowd gathered around him. Whenever Keith preaches, he gets a crowd. Do you remember Jed Smock? There was a guy named Jed Smock. He used to preach on Ball State's campus. That was a long time ago. That was when I was at Ball State, which I know was a very long time ago. But Jed Smock would come, and he'd stand right out there at the scramble light and preach and you know, say all sorts of really offensive things. That's not my friend Keith. okay? Keith, a seminary graduate, very theologically sound, very philosophically engaged. And he gets a crowd, and they start talking about spiritual issues and worldview issues. And I've often thought of of Keith as a kind of a a Jeremiah figure. But there's a difference here between Keith and Jeremiah. Again, Keith is on the college campuses. Jeremiah is sent to the temple. And so in verse 2 here, what God says is, is, Hear the word of the Lord. "...all you men of Judah who enter these gates." So the expectation is that there's all these people who are streaming into the temple. So this is probably during one of the religious festivals, a Passover maybe, or the Feast of Tabernacles... ...when God knows there's going to be a lot of people coming. And Jeremiah speaks to them. And what does he say? What is his concern here? He says in verse 3, "...thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel... Amend your ways, end your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. I mean, I'll let you stay here if you repent. That word amend your ways is really a reference to repentance. But do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. So what Jeremiah is saying here is to God's people, he's saying amend your ways, repent God's people. Now, mostly for us as Christians, I mean, what we think of is we want the world to repent. We we look at the world and all of their evil and wicked ways, and we're very concerned about their lifestyles. We want them to repent. We want them to change. Nothing wrong with that. I think that's a good desire. But isn't it interesting here that that's not what Jeremiah is doing here. He's not calling the world to repentance. He's calling God's people to repentance. It would be like him speaking to the church. Amend your ways church. Do you know what it says in First Peter chapter 4? It is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Yeah, the world will with God. But what Peter is saying is judgment begins with the household of God, that God's (coughs) primary concern is not the upright morality of the world. God's concern is the upright morality of his people, of you and me. He wants holy living from us. He wants a pursuit of righteousness from you and from me. He wants humility and devotion and obedience from us. Why would he expect people who are unconverted and don't know Jesus to know how to live? You do know how to live, God's people. And so you're called to devote yourself to him. Throughout the history of revival, what we see is revival not breaking out in the world. Revival breaks out in the church first and then spills over in influence to the world. And so, this is Jeremiah's concern. He's speaking to God's people. But what is it that's really bugging him? And it's this thing I'm calling a false presumption because of what you see in verse 4. Don't trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. It's like what he's saying is that, you know, you people are coming to the temple every week... And you're repeating this. And, you know, maybe they were repeating it like it's kind of a magical incantation of some sort. You know, like they were some kind of superstitious thing. Or it might have just been something they were just saying over and over again. But what they were doing was reassuring themselves that everything was okay in their lives... ...because they were in the temple once a week. And it didn't matter how they lived outside of the temple... It didn't matter what their lives were like when they weren't worshiping God. That was unimportant. All that mattered to them is, I go to temple. And they would just repeat it. This is the temple of the Lord. It's like, I'm in the temple of the Lord. I'm here worshiping God. How could there be anything wrong or anything needing of repentance in my life? I go to church every Sunday. I don't need to repent. I don't need to amend my ways. I'm a churchgoer. I'm a good, faithful, conservative churchgoer. And they presumed upon God's deliverance based on that alone. You see that back in verse 10 where he picks this up again. Verses 8 and 9, he lists some of these sins. And then verse 10, he says, And then you come and you stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say we are delivered. And then you go on doing all these abominations. Do you see what he's pointing out? There's an inconsistency here between the person who says that he is saved or delivered or redeemed, but as soon as that person walks out of church, he lives his life like everybody else. What Jeremiah says is, you've got to repent of that. That is not God's design. Phil Riken says it like this, he says these people were going on a crime spree during the week, and then using the temple as their hideout. I'll live however I want, and then I'll come to church. And because I come to church... I'm okay. Look, there's only one way for you to be okay in the face of a holy God, and that is to humble yourselves before God, to look to Jesus for forgiveness, to plead the blood of Christ for your transgressions, to turn from your sins and turn to Him in faith. That's the only hope you have for being delivered. No matter how much you go to church, no matter how many notes you take during Sunday mornings, no matter how pure your denomination is, no matter how many Bible verses you've uh, memorized, all of which are good things, but can be things we presume upon. Because I do these things, I'm okay. And Jeremiah is challenging this false presumption. So that's the first thing. Jeremiah is concerned. The second thing, sinful living. Jeremiah is concerned about sinful living among God's people. So this is one of Jeremiah's tasks. He's got to go out and confront people in their sin. I mean, that's never fun for anybody, I don't think, at any time. It's certainly not something that's received well today. Uh, we live in a culture that emphasizes tolerance and Safe spaces and those things make it hard for people to challenge others regarding their lifestyle. So it's hard today, but you got to know it was hard for Jeremiah too. It was hard in that day too. I don't think there's ever been a time when someone has liked their sin to be confronted. It's never happened. And it wasn't popular in Jeremiah's day. If you look at chapter 26, we get another peek into Jeremiah's life here. This could be actually chapter 26, the same event described in chapter 7 because there are some similar details. might be two events at the same place, but here's what it says. The priests, the prophets, and all the people heard Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord. But as soon as Jeremiah finished telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say, the priests, the prophets, and all the people seized him and said, you must die. We don't like you talking to us that way, Jeremiah. Why do you prophesy in the Lord's name that this house will be like Shiloh and this city will be desolate and deserted? Why do you tell us about judgment? Why do you judge us? Why do you criticize us? And then all the people crowded around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. you imagine the circle of people all around Jeremiah, all full of rage, pointing their fingers at him? I mean, imagine what Jeremiah must have felt like at that time. <laughs> Surrounded by people. Who say this? Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and all the people, This man should be sentenced to death because he has prophesied against this city. Kill him. He's confronting us in our sin and we can't handle it. Throughout the book of Jeremiah, we see other examples. There's an incident in chapter 36 where Jeremiah presents the scroll to King Jehoiakim. You know what Jehoiakim does? He burns the scroll in Jeremiah's presence, cuts it up in little pieces and burns it in the fire. In chapter 38, we see people apprehend Jeremiah and they lower him down into a cistern, a dark cistern where there's a bunch of mud at the bottom. And the text says he just sank into the mud and they just left him there to die. Because he had the boldness to do what God asked him to do, And presenting his word to them. But here is maybe the most shocking thing about this. Did did you catch this in the text? Who is it that is harassing and persecuting Jeremiah? Is Is it the pagans of his day? Is it the Amalekites or the Philistines? It's the priests and the prophets. It's other religious people. It's, it's the Christians who are so angry at Jeremiah. They're the ones who want him dropped in a cistern. They're the ones who want him killed. So interesting. Again, my friend Keith Darrell, the guy who travels around preaching, he has dealt with a number of different kinds of um, opposition. He says he's been choked while he's preached. He says he's um, been punched five or six times he's had things thrown at him Um, he's been hit with a bullhorn while he's been out preaching but i asked him to describe his experience a little bit and he said that here's the interesting thing he says it's not it's not the atheists or the agnostics or the liberals or the lgbt crowd that comes out and gives me a hard time it's the christians (laughs) that's what he said It's professed Christians who come out. And they give me a hard time because they don't like the confrontation. They don't like it that I'm out confronting people. I mean, isn't that a shock that it would be God's people who would object to a man being called to deliver God's word to people? That was Jeremiah's experience. That's been Keith Darrell's experience. And I wonder how it is in your experience. When someone challenges you, Confronts you about a sin in your life, when you're listening to a sermon and you're convicted and you're being called out, how do you react to that? Do you react like the priests and the prophets here? You don't want to hear it? You plug your ears? You rationalize it? You dismiss it? I go to church every Sunday. He can't be talking about me. Well, what did Jeremiah confront what was the sinful living that he was most concerned about well verse 9 we see a list of about half the 10 commandments here he says will you steal and murder commit adultery swear falsely make offerings to Baal and go after other gods you have not known that last phrase will be a reference to the very first commandment you shall have no other gods before me So Jeremiah is saying, you you guys are guilty of violating these very basic commands. The scriptures are clear. God says, I am the Lord. There is no other. Jesus comes and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The scriptures are very clear that God says, you are not to worship other gods. And that's what the people were doing. And so Jeremiah comes and he confronts them in these things. But you'll notice also that Jeremiah confronts the people regarding certain social issues that they have been neglecting. And you see that in verses 5 and 6. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, Jeremiah is concerned that God's people have a concern for justice. And want to give a voice to people who are oppressed. And so he goes on. He says uh, in verse 6, if you do not oppress the sojourner. The sojourner, another translation of the word sojourner, would be immigrant. So Jeremiah is saying you, you have immigrants coming into your community. You have people from other nations. People who look and act differently than you. And you're oppressing them. You're not loving them. You're not, you know what it says in... Deuteronomy 10.18, it says, God loves the immigrant. So, I mean, wherever you are on this issue of immigration in our country, I mean, you just got to come to grips with that statement in Scripture, explicitly said, God loves the immigrant. And you and I ought to also love the immigrant. And he goes on, and he talks about the fatherless and the widow... That is, the most vulnerable people in our community, the people who have no advocate, the people who have nobody to speak on their behalf. You know, I haven't checked with Bruce McFarland, but I'm going to take a risk and just go ahead and say it. I know that that's been a passion of Bruce McFarland in in this community, is sticking up for some people that he feels has no voice in our community, and he is coming to their aid. And that is a godly and a good thing to do. That's what God spoke through Jeremiah to his people that they should do. He also mentions the shedding of innocent blood. That would include the shedding of innocent blood in the womb. And it would include the shedding of innocent blood outside the womb. They're both an abomination to God. And Jeremiah calls his people out and says, you need to repent of your neglect of these things. And so the challenge is clear, you know, I mean, you, you, your heart might go to some of these things that are listed, but then your heart might ignore some of the other things that are listed. Sometimes, you know, conservatives have their issues and liberals have their issues. It seems like this is a list that con- includes concerns that everybody would have from all political perspectives, all the way from adultery to care for the immigrant. And this is how Jeremiah challenges the people. This a guy named christopher wright says this if israel allowed their society to be riddled with injustice oppression greed sexual and physical violence and the loss of all righteousness and compassion then whatever or whoever they might have thought they were worshiping it was not the lord and so that's jeremiah's concern about the sinful living that he sees among his people then the last thing though is this a coming judgment Again, poor Jeremiah, right? Not a popular topic to talk about. And yet, this is what God has given him to say. He's got to go and tell the people that judgment is coming. I mean, what kind of church growth strategy is that? I mean, I can imagine Israel being, or uh, Jeremiah being interviewed by somebody looking for a pastor. You know, Jeremiah needs a job and he's seminary trained. He wants to get a Pastoral position, and they say, Jeremiah, tell us about your preaching style. And he says, Well, I confront people about their hypocrisy and false presumption, I challenge them on their sinful living, and I tell them about a coming judgment. That's what I do. You think Jeremiah would get a second interview? I mean, isn't it interesting to think, would Jeremiah get a job, would the Apostle Paul get a job in our churches today? I mean, I I, I don't know. It it doesn't seem like this style of preaching is the kind that is highly valued in the church. I think it's a reminder to us about what constitutes true ministry success, which is not necessarily The number of conversions that happen through your ministry is not necessarily the number of people who come under your ministry. The important thing is faithfulness to your calling. And God called Jeremiah to a specific calling, even though, if you go down to verse 27, if you have your Bibles open there, chapter 7, verse 27, look what God says. You shall speak all these words to them, but they won't listen to you. You shall call to them, And they will not answer. They're not going to respond. They're not going to come back asking you questions. They're not going to come to your church. They're not going to believe in your God, Jeremiah. You're not going to have any success. But preach it anyway. Preach it anyway. And that's what Jeremiah had to do. And that's what he did. So what does he say? How does he talk about this judgment issue? We see this in verse 12. To fifteen, He says, go to Shiloh in verse 12. People, go to Shiloh. What was Shiloh? That was the, the, the first location of the sanctuary for God's people. Uh, Joshua 18.1, when the people started to settle in the land, this was the first place they set up a sanctuary about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. The events we're reading here in chapter 7 are in Jerusalem. Shiloh is a different town. And what Jeremiah is saying, go to Shiloh and take a look at that place. This is what I want you to do. Take a field trip. Go up to Shiloh and look. And what are you going to find? A pile of rubble. That's what you're going to find. It tells us here in Psalm 78. They angered God with their high places. They aroused his jealousy with their idols. When God heard them, he was furious. He rejected Israel completely. He abandoned the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had set up among humans. He abandoned the tent. He, he judged this place ...of worship where the people were going in their false presumption. And what Jeremiah is saying here is that what happened there, I will do here in Jerusalem. Verse 14, I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust... ...and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. He's threatening judgment if they don't repent. Now you might look at that and say, yeah, that's Old Testament... That's Old Testament stuff. Old Testament stuff talks about judgment. Except look what it says in Romans. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intending to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. There is a judgment day coming, friends. I don't know when it's going to happen, but the scriptures are clear. If if, if the scriptures aren't clear on anything, it is clear on this. There is a judgment day. The day is coming when we all have to give an account for the way that we have lived. And there is only one hope for escaping that judgment. And it's to look to another prophet. We don't trust in Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I think, was a godly man, kind of an exception. A lot of the people in the Bible we find are, you know, history of all kinds of sin. Jeremiah seems largely to be a pretty faithful, pretty faithful prophet. But, you know, there was another prophet who came. And they didn't call him the weeping prophet, but they did call him a man of sorrows. And Jesus says in chapter 7, he says, "...the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil." Did you know that Jesus did that? He would stand in places and preach and testify that people's deeds were evil. Jeremiah and Jesus actually had a lot in common. And yet there were some big differences as well because Jeremiah was a prophet, but Jesus was a prophet and also a high priest and also a king and also a savior, and also a rescuer, and also a friend. Jesus was not just a man. Jesus was the God-man. And Jesus wasn't put in a cistern, but he was hung up on a cross. And he bled there, and he died there. And while he was on that cross, he was taking upon himself God's anger and judgment against your sin and mine. That this is the value of preaching judgment. Is you tell people about judgment. And you remind them that it's real. And you remind them that it's, you're, you're, you ought to be judged. You ought to be condemned. And that sounds like bad news. But the more bad news you hear, the sweeter the good news is. Isn't it wonderful to know that as a Christian, you won't face God's judgment if your trust is in Jesus not on how many times you go to church, not on how many religious observances you give yourself to, and not how moral you are, and not how many social causes you stand behind, and not how many poor people you help, even though all of those things are good. There's only one hope for escape from the judgment of God, and that is faith in Jesus, who stood in our place, condemned, so that we can stand and face God and know that we're forgiven. If you haven't done that, if if you're a Christian, just let's let's marvel again at how good it is to be freed from the judgment of God. If you're not a Christian, you need to flee to Jesus today, now. Repent and believe and be saved. Jesus surrendered all for us, and so we ought to surrender all for him, which is what we're going to do now as we sing about him. But let's pray first. Father, your word is truth. And you sanctify your people through your word. And so sanctify us now, we pray in Jesus' name.